Welcome back to the Sunday Show. I'm Robin Cyrus. I hope you are well. Thanks for joining me. America has a new president and a madam vice president. Just thought I'd say that, you know, makes me feel fuzzy, you know, like I've had a drink, but I don't drink. Good things. Good things. Anyway, back to the big stuff in the UK. We are in lockdown. Uh, lockdown part two which is slightly lighter than the original version, which was lockdown part one. Uh, there are restrictions on sport um, in terms of pubs not being able to show sports. In fact, pubs aren't meant to be open to... So let's scrub that thought and uh, get rid of that sentence totally. So pubs aren't meant to be open, so no one will, so, so no one will be in there watching sport, full stop. Um, so unless, unless pubs are secretly opening to a small band of customers who want to watch sport. I mean, that's just a rumour. Don't take my word on it. Anyway, seriously, uh, the new lockdown measures have been ushered in and a new dawn of division, it would seem, in sport for men and women, boys and girls, no doubt. For now, some supporters uh, are happy you know, that elite level football um, has been given the government clearance uh, to play. Uh, but the prospect of playing um, football generally for uh, anyone is is uh, removed. We all know that football is key to a person's well-being. It's key to a person's health. It's key to a person's mental health. You know, um, it's the coming together. Not too close, obviously. Keep your distance. Face, space. Wash your hands. But so much was made um, when the original lockdown occurred of what happened to children, how children were on the end of things, uh, being restricted, being removed from things, unable to play, and their, their long-term health, mental health, as we've said. And they were kept away from parks in late spring, they were kept away from one another, unable to mix, um, you know, unable to mix one another. Very difficult time, very difficult time. So football, sport generally, is seen as the kind of gate to the tension that bring, builds up in, in, in a person, in, in individuals within communities. It's a, it's a way of alleviating the stress and kind of bringing about positive thoughts and, and a sense of togetherness. But the recent news doesn't necessarily seem that there's the togetherness for everyone. There's togetherness for some and the others. There's, not, there's no, no sign or no sense of being together, definitely separate. Um, so, you know, with this kind of information to hand, you would expect that the government would have someone in the room, you know, someone with a special mind for young people, someone who understands young people, maybe even Marcus Rashford. You know, he's the buzz right now. Um, did you see how the Prime Minister reached out to him? You know, don't know if it was because there's a new president, a new vice president, madam vice president. I don't know. Anyway. You would expect that there'd be someone in the room who would have the mind of, you know, for young people and their outcomes for them and their well-being and all of those things at the table, you know. Uh, and if they were there, they would probably have a conversation with those who were making the decisions about boys and girls having access to sport at a level so that they are taken care of in terms of their health and their mental health. Right. That's what you would think. No. If you are a girl who likes football, 
if you are a girl who enjoys playing football and you're really good at football, even if you're not really good, well, that's just tough cheese because you just can't play. They don't have time for you. You can stay at home. In fact, don't even stay at home. Go and watch your brother play and stand on the sidelines because you've been told you can't play. That's the message you're getting from the powers that be, from the, the custodians of the sport. Those who are meant to be looking out for the future of the supporters and players of any great sport, football, right? Put that at the front as being a great sport. Did I mention that there is a new president and a Madam Vice President where hope... Anyway, let's leave that alone. Anyway, so with the football, right, with the football, it seems that you can play up to a certain level or below, up from a certain level, if you are a boy, if you have, let's for a better word use it, testicles, you can play. But if you don't have testicles, you're not allowed to play. Yeah, it's a gender thing. Some will say it's about money, but it can't be about money because we've, we have all witnessed in the last few hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, had a prime minister as you turned and found money to help hungry young children, boys and girls, up and down the country. So, um, you know, and when I say they, it's not just the government, it's not just the government, you know, because the, the Football Association have some part to play in this, because they have a voice. It's not just down to the parents of these, these young children, boys and girls. It's not just down to parents. It's not just down to supporters. It's down to the FA, you know, the Football Association, the governing body, the people that say they're meant to have an eye out for everyone. Them. Them. When I say they, I mean they, collectively. Them. I want to be clear about that. I don't just mean the government. I don't just mean Boris Johnson. I mean they. Those that sit in rooms and talk at length. Them. So under the FA banner, the information about regional talent clubs, which cater for female footballers, just, you know, you just don't cut the mustard, basically. Because now you, anything to do with those clubs, specific for girls, young ladies, women, will now be suspended during the lockdown period. Like the mental health aspect of it stops at the gender section. And it says, well, we can't go beyond there. We're not, we're not quite sure about, these guys, yeah, but you, we're not sure. We're not sure. We're not quite sure. You know, and I thought that, you know, regional talent clubs would fall under the elite level protocols, which have allowed top level football men and women to, to continue. So if, you know, girls are playing with a regional talent club, that they would still have that kind of access, right? That's what I, that's what I thought. I, make, for me, it makes sense. But it's not. If you're a boy, it's business as usual. And, you know, simply as a, as a dad who has a daughter who has no real interest in sport whatsoever, she's too busy reading books and other things. It isn't right. You know, I recently interviewed in the summer one of the coaches for, let me get this right, I think it's Girls United FC. If it's not, I'm, I'm going to apologise profusely, Abigail, apologise. And during the conversation, she told me that her father pushed her and supported her and provided her with more attention 
with regards to football and her footballing career than he did her brother. He decided that his daughter needed more attention. Dad did that. I don't know dads in the FA. I don't know dads speaking up in the FA to the government where there are other dads. Are there no dads? No uncles? With, you know, nieces and daughters? Are there, are there none? It would seem that there are none. It would seem that there are none. This is the message that the FA are trying to send to young girls. We're trying to do everything we can to promote the women's game. Not really. Not quite. Not that much. Not, not doing that much. What do you say to a young girl who has been watching their female hero, male hero, play football in and out of the pandemic, share their story, how they've coped, what they're doing, what they're planning to do next. And everyone else is in the same position with regards to the lockdown. But in terms of your testicles, you are given a, let's use the word, leg up to carry on playing. But if you haven't got any, you're not. You know, that, I mean, is that the best way to send a message to, to people who love sport, love football in particular, and say that we're supporting you in this, in this dark time? We're supporting you. I mean, you know, seriously, if you, you, if you're a, a girl who's playing football and you've got brothers and cousins that are going to go and play football, you, you know, there's, in my mind, I think don't go and watch them, but I think, no, go and watch them. Go and watch them and, you know, and say, I can do that from the sidelines. I used to do that. I used to do that last week until they stopped me. You know, because what we've seen quite clearly is that for you to be take for you to be taken seriously, you have to be visibly seen and heard. I actually thought that you know, with the information I saw, I thought this was the nineteen fifties, you know, or sixties. You know, I had a conversation on Twitter last night, which was strange. You know, following the the presidential win, and someone came and said, "I don't like Kamala Harris about her her policies." You know, if they understood American politics in terms of how policies are created and the, the horse trading that goes on between politicians and the public and Republican Party and the Democratic Party about what laws get passed. You know, she, he said that Kamala, um, she did this and she voted for, for, for parents to be prosecuted if they don't take their children to school. Well, one, you know, I don't know any woman that would be thinking... Mm, that's a bad thing because everyone knows how important education is. People keep talking about it. Two, that in light of the FA's decision where, you know, there is kind of one rule for one and another rule for another, then education is key. And you want to make sure that children go to school so that they get the best out of life and they can stand up for themselves. And three, there is legislation regularly used to take parents to court in this country, predominantly working class parents, not middle-class and upper-class parents because they go to private and public schools. They go to different schools. So, when it comes to this rule, it's really strange. For me, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, later on today, I'm going to go and watch women's football. I'm going to report on it. So, I'm, I'm feeling this, that, what, what message does this send? What message does this send in terms of equality and in terms of access and in terms of you know, everyone being equal in terms of football being that kind of 
as, they, as we so regularly talk about it, vehicle of change. That the people who are meant to be steering the vehicle have just parked it up and said, you guys get out for a minute and be back in a minute. And off they go. And you're left standing there going, what happened? I don't get it. In the Guardian article uh, by Tanya um, Aldred, hope I've pronounced your surname correctly, it outlined the quote as such, right? There is an increasing number of brilliant young girls in the academy pathways, but the clubs simply do not have the staff um, or infrastructure or the resources to meet the professional protocols to allow them to continue to train. You mean basically they don't have enough bloody money from the FA or the government or the other clubs? Shock horror. It's a joke. I mean, do they mean that there isn't enough anti-back or soap in the toilets? Because if, if there's more anti-back and soap in the boys' toilets, then I understand, because, you know, generally they don't pee straight. Um, I don't know what this means, you know, because they're just playing football. What are the measures in place for the boys in their academy? What, what are the additional measures that they have used that the, that the girls are unable to meet or match or get close to? I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. Bias, gender inequality, in the very week where we see the first black female vice president elect, or definitely. The week ended, right, with no hope with regards to the FA and their decision with RTC. But the weekend lit a candle and said, come this way. That's what it did. The FA really do need to rethink the message they're trying to convey to young girls and their families and those who support women's football. They need to rethink the message. Oh, gosh. So much. So much. Hmm. So, more great stuff from the FA on disability rights right, in the week. Gosh, they've had a great week, the FA. Who knew that the Guardians could get it right? Uh, talk about the Guardian. As we move back through the pit stop of the week, the Guardian newspaper, no doubt, um, and the piece by Paul uh, um, McKins or McGinn's, uh, forgive me if I get the name wrong, but it's rushing this morning, uh, shed light on the Football Association's diversity code, which appears to say it's okay to exclude uh, individuals with disabilities. Wow, they're on a roll. First of all, you need testicles, and everyone else can go just this way. Uh, and they even uh, try to defend the code, right, the Football Association, those individuals who are meant to take care of everybody, apparently, uh, by saying it's a starting point. It's a starting point where they put something that is bad in their code. That's a starting point. That's like trying to say, I'm going to start my car by taking the wheel off before I make my journey. I hinder myself from the very beginning and go, guess what? I'm going for a drive, but I've only got three wheels and a four-wheel car but I'll make it. It doesn't make sense. There are so many individuals who love sport in this world, but for reasons beyond their control, they have a disability, right? They still have hope. They still have dreams. You know, and I openly acknowledge my own failings in this. When I go to football, I didn't always think about fans with disabilities. I didn't think how would they engage with the day? I wouldn't think, how would they be included in the atmosphere? I did that and I think, well, you know what? I'm sure there are many people who are doing the same. Now, I thought, yes, they're not. 
I didn't think where would they go, you know, in terms of getting access to the venue, what was what measures were being put in place for them, all of these things. How would they be included in the atmosphere? Where would they go in terms of an avenue if they wanted to gain employment in the sport that they love and they actually watch? You know, you know, I include myself in this because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not innocent. But when you have an organisation consisting of many different individual voices, you would expect individuals would actually play a part within the conversation so the organisation actually doesn't make the errors that an individual would make, like me. They would and should discuss how to include everyone and have a broader look on what the game and the support base and those who work within the game look like and how they are going to offer that. How can you start off with a code by saying it's a starting point, but it's a bad one, but we put it in anyway. What kind of nonsense is that? That's BS, full stop. There are targets for increasing coaching roles for black and Asian and mixed ethnicity candidates, right? We know this, it's come around of late, but no targets for individuals with disabilities. You know, there are some stadiums who don't even have um, escalators. I'm sure. Recently, when I say recently, it was in the summer, I interviewed uh, Martin Sinclair, who has a disability himself, and he talked about it openly with me. And uh, the interview will be available very, very soon. And he mentioned then, during the conversation, uh, the need for a target within the FA. Martin had actually played for Team GB in terms of cerebral palsy. So he knows, for, he knows firsthand. He knows firsthand. And he educated me in the conversation, and we're due to have another conversation. Great guy. Football is a sport awash with money. This is what everyone says. We can spend 90 million on that player and give that player 250 grand a week. We can do all of those things. Great, fantastic. And when you see conversations like that that take place within the fan base, across newspaper platforms, everything, when it comes to disabilities, there should never, ever, ever be a conversation which utilises the excuse that there aren't enough funds available at the time. Sorry. Never. Never. That, that, that line should never be. And if anyone uses it, it should be shut down straight away. Don't. Ever. There's not enough money. You kidding me? You, you must be kidding me. In The Guardian, the quote from the Chief Executive of the Disability Rights UK, Cameron Malik, stated this. The Premier League is one of the richest in the world, and yet it continues to exclude disabled people. Their passionate supporters, the potential supporters, employees, and those in positions of influence and power, the message this gives to the general public is that it's okay to exclude disabled people. That is the message. So the FA, you know, strike one, the girls in the RTC, strike two, access to those with disabilities in terms of employment or even avenues for employment or even some kind of like gateway where they can even get close to looking and you just think wow what's strike three gonna be i mean obviously the football has been taking place and sometimes the football is great to talk about but this this is is is, is more important this is so much more important 
uh, in the week, um, I went to watch a couple of games, um, championship games, London City Lioness and Crystal Palace women. Both were playing uh, women's Super League teams. Both have had difficult starts to the league season where they've played really good football, but they've not been able to get the results. London City more recently did have a really good result against Leicester City. Um, Crystal Palace have, 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 have been un unlucky, but they've played some great stuff, great players there. And uh, watching these games um, under the, the floodlights, very cold evening, very, very cold evening for, for those sitting and those playing. Um, I had a conversation uh, at the end of the game with one particular player and, you know, those players for those clubs, they're part-time. They have day jobs. They work, you know, like anyone else. They have the ability to leave work at a certain time, um, then go and train. You know, one player is a post, a post works in a post office up at four, doing the work, then going to training two o'clock, two till six, then they're back up next day. And then to have a nighttime game, which kicks off at 7.30, may finish at 10, to know, you know, that after they've had their post-match stretch routine, by the time they get home, they're going to be up again. And, you know, we talk about, and they're, they're classed as elite. And don't get me wrong, they're happy to be playing football. And you know, the fans will be happy that they're still playing football. But as I've mentioned already, that there is this conversation about the football game is awash with money. But yet those who are at a particular level, the competitions are clearly imbalanced when you talk about full-time teams, such as the likes of um, Arsenal, who are established and, you know, a, a roster of full internationals, Bristol City, with, with some extremely talented players. And you just kind of think that, you know, you look at sport and you think, OK, when you talk elite sport, you don't really know. You don't really understand what some players go through for those clubs that don't have the glitz and the glamour, who, who don't have the, 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 the pull, the advertising pull, the, 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 the celebrity fan that jumps up and down and says, look at me, I'm with them. We don't always have those. And there are some great, great um, individuals within those teams. So it, it quest you know, I question this. And it's, it, for me, the question was about money. The question was about money and those in the game and I look at it, and I have to be honest with you, sometimes I'm bored with watching men's football. I'm bored and I'm sickened with it as well. One, because of the obscene amount of money in the game that, you know, and people say that football players do a lot of good stuff. I get it, I do. But some of the things that they've been paid, you just think, seriously, you're just kicking a ball. You know, and I love football. I've been, I love football from the age of eight, but you're just kicking a ball. And there are people out there who are risking their lives daily, paramedics, firefighters, frontline service workers, police officers, and they get nothing in comparison to what footballers get. And I just think, you know, the world is, you know, the world is mad. And you, you want there to be a little bit of parity for those that even at the lower levels where they're called elite, but they're not, they don't have the same cachet. They don't have the same financial support or backing and and the infrastructure around them to actually do the things that they need to do. So there are so many injustices in terms of the financial disparity that we see in the game and so clearly visible that we talk it up as if it is something good. And it isn't. It isn't. Football was always about being 
equal on the pitch and if someone had better talent than you it's because they probably either worked harder at their game or they were gifted but that was it you know you still played football the game lasted a certain amount of time and then you went about your business um, so I do hope that with all of the conversation that's taking place around um, women's football that there is some kind of conversation at the top end about when they say elite sport and they talk about those in the in the WSL2 or the championship just below the Women's Super League that they actually think how are we going to actually bridge the gap in terms of the financial disparity between the clubs which come about because of sponsorship and their cachet but also about the actual care that we're giving to those players who are working in, in other careers or in jobs that we just forget and think oh they also play football as well and they have to contend with family life it's just very very difficult but very difficult and, and I just hope that someone is at the, at the table that actually has a conversation and, and with that in mind um, the last thing I want to talk about is the pay-per-view um, that's still there it has been you know removed from the table for now supporters have faced down the barrel and won for now uh, the football support um, football supporters uh, association have been very prominent along with a number of other individuals who have spoken out um, on their own about what is right and what isn't right in terms of paying more and you, you see so so openly how some football clubs and how I'm going to say football clubs let's just get this right Football clubs in cahoots with, and I say cahoots, it's probably not the right word, in discussion about how they see the game and how they see fans. And sometimes I, I believe that they don't see fans as fans and they don't see fans as supporters. They see them as users. Users like, you know, someone they can just kind of drain. And there is an emotional connection to football. There has always been an emotional connection, even if you're a supporter or you have been a player at whatever level and you love playing the game and you love watching football whatever level football you love to watch and there is this kind of blasé approach that that broadcasters and those at the top have in terms of where they want to take the game and say this is the direction it needs to go down without having a conversation with the supporters without actually having a conversation with the fans without actually having a conversation with those who are at home and have paid a considerable amount of money for one broadcaster platform to then be told you need to go and pay something else and Sky were at the beginning when everyone heralds Sky as the greatest they were at there you know they they did so many different things you had a subscription and you had Sky Sports 1 and I remember and they go oh but we've got Champions League but it's on Sky Sports 2 and you need to pay extra for that so there was always a catch there was always this carrot and stick and I do hope that supporters and fans and those who are actually speaking up on behalf of fans actually understand the process that they have used so far historically to get to where they are right now and they go no we're not playing that game anymore we're not playing that game anymore not now not now whole new world whole new whole new financial scenario for, for people who are facing difficult times due to the pandemic that is that is ongoing and, and doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon so yeah lots to be Lots to be uh, discussed, um, but there is hope. <laughs> there is hope in the world. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't matter what your team does. 
on the day. They could win three points, great. They, they could score eight goals, fantastic, great. Sometimes a political moment outshines it all. And it has more hope, more gravitas, more, it provides more inspiration than anything that you will see on a football pitch. Sometimes a political, don't sometimes. But football's still great, still love it. Anyway, that's it for today. This is the Sunday show. I'm Rodney Cyrus. Until next time, laters. Thank you.